You're listening to the Why I Love Disney podcast. In this episode, we watch Pixar's Onward. We talk about everything from the characters, the story, the all-star cast, and the Pixar plot twists and turns. Does Onward stand up to other Pixar favorites? Find out now. Are you ready? Let's go. Greetings and welcome to a special quarantine edition of the Why I Love Disney podcast. We wish we weren't doing these special quarantine editions, but hey, we're all in this together. And we are here re-watching some incredible Disney content on Disney Plus and talking about that with you. I am Dustin. I'm David. <laughs> and I'm Ramin. Yes, you are both. Man, it's so good. It's we're, great to have you guys. You guys feeling well? Everything good? Doing well, doing well. Got a little delay yeah. today, uh, so I'm sorry. I'm I was a little slow there. <laughs> All right, so um, we're logging our Disney Plus hours, and today we are going to talk about Onward, which is interesting, and I'm really excited about this because David and I saw this in the theater opening weekend, which was the weekend the coronavirus sort of kind of swept in and kind of changed everything for us forever, right? Um, yes. So it was, I think March the 6th was the opening day, or March 5th, something along those lines. March 6th, And yeah. it was the last weekend really new movies were released because um, the weekend after would be when the NBA was canceled, uh, the NCAA tournament was canceled, the SEC tournament was canceled, and, and life as we know it, we all go into kind of social distancing quarantine mode from there. Fascinating, but I was on the Saturday before in a theater watching Onward. You saw it also in the theater, so I'm excited to get our, our rewatch take now on Disney+. Plus. Ramin, you just saw it for the first time, is that right? Yeah, just for the first time. Awesome. So why don't we start there? I mean, give us, David and I have already talked about this on a, before, and we're going to get a little more in depth. And I think we both have some new perspectives now that we've seen it um, on, on a second viewing. But what was your first impression? What did you think of the movie? Man, I, I really, really liked it. I actually think it, it, this is probably my favorite movie of 2020 so far. I thought like, mm. man, the humor was just like, it was very on point. I thought it was hilarious. Like everything from like, um, you know, when uh, Colt, Bronco, he calls, I think Laurel is her name, the mom, and it shows up right. as main man, my main man on there. <laughs> like stuff like that, I thought was just hilarious. It was it's so many good to, moments like that. To the let's get it on ringtone. This is, you know, <laughs> makes their, makes the teen, it makes the teenage son's uh, skin crawl every time they hear it. It's a, yes. it's kind of awesome. And, uh, like the very end too, when he's, uh, you know, about to, to leave the house for work or whatever, and he's, she he forgets his car keys or something like that. And she's like, you forgot your keys. And he's like, no, I was built to run or made to run. And he pulls off his hat. And it's like this Fabio hair just flapping in the wind. It was <laughs> just choice. It's so good. He, he is a great character um, voiced by Mel Rodriguez. Um, yeah. Um, so interesting. Great cast of this movie. It's just something we should talk about too. We have Tom Holland as Ian Lightfoot. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Chris Pratt, Barley, the older brother in the movie, Julia Lewis Dreyfus, um, as Laurel Lightfoot, who's the widowed mother of Ian and Barley and tons of other, you have, um, tons of other actors who are in this. And it's actually, I've really enjoyed getting to know these characters a second time around. We should probably, we'll give you a, a heads up right here. There's spoilers going to be coming at you left and right. If you haven't seen it, man, go watch it before you, you, you listen to this podcast because we're going to talk all about how this thing ends and give some key plot points if you don't want to know it. Um, but beyond that, 
This is a, a very heartwarming, like Pixar does so well, David. It's a heartwarming story um, that talks about loss. It talks about um, moving forward. It talks about uh, consistent Pixar things that we've touched on before of, of letting go and right. kind of coming of age and letting moving on. Um, let's talk a little about this plot and kind of kind of the how they've reframed these universal themes once again in this kind of world of of mystical creatures. Uh, you know, one thing I learned this week that I, I didn't know when I saw it the first time was that it's a little bit autobiographical. Uh, is that the right word? It's a little bit uh, from the life of Dan uh, Scanlon, who is the director and one of the writers. It was his, This was kind of his experience as a child. Uh, he lost his father, I think, uh, when he was one, and so did grew up not knowing his dad. So some of this uh, sounds like it was kind of based on some experiences that he, he went through. Uh, but yeah, I think it it reminded me of great Pixar moments like uh, Finding Nemo, where you deal with that, you know, relationships changing, and you're trying to move on to the next uh, to the next chapter. Which is why you know what a great fitting title for Onward. You know that they're they're not looking back; they're they're moving forward. They're going onward, and so yeah. That uh, the, if you haven't seen uh, the movie, uh, you know the plot centers around two young guys that uh, don't rem- one that never met his father, one that only has three or four memories of his dad, and uh, they get the opportunity to uh, what if we could bring dad back for one day, and that's kind of the premise of the movie. They almost it almost works, but they only get half of him, so they have to go on a quest to get the rest of dad before twenty four hours runs out. Uh, and I thought I think the premise of what if what if we could have Dad back for a day was a great idea because how many how many times you say man if I could just I would love to relive that day or this day or you know it's a great premise what do you think? Uh, yeah, I also thought the framing of it in this sort of world of mythical creatures that uh, was really interesting. Like basically the entire world, you know, you, you have Monsters Inc. where you have a world of, of monsters, right? And that mm-hmm. operates differently like us, except it's monsters. You have Finding Nemo where you're in, engrossed in the, and under the sea, this kind of new culture and dynamics of different sea creatures getting along with each other. You have cars where it's like a world of what if the cars were people? And now you're here with like mythical creatures and the idea that mythical creatures through, through the years and through generations have lost their magic. Right. And Mm -hmm. now they're just, there's, you know, different um, centaurs and, and elves and all these mythical monsters and creatures that are just interacting in a normal world. And no, they, no, uh, I'm laughing because as you're talking about this, I keep thinking about the unicorns, like how this magical kingdom has, has lost itself <laughs> to convenience, you know, and everybody's gone. With oh convenience. yeah. The unicorns, which are these magical creatures now don't have much of a role or a place. And so they, they've taken essentially on like the role of like raccoons, you know, they're like digging in the trash yep. and they're like hissing at people in the dark and stuff, like scurrying out of caves and things so yes. the whole time say this i'm just thinking of these unicorns and how traditionally they're you know very like majestic beautiful magical creatures and then in this movie they're they're raccoons yes that's what this movie's doing so well it 
is taking these, these exactly like you're saying, these, these things we've seen and kind of known about it in folklore and different sorts of movies and, and putting them, making them very human for us and very kind of mm-hmm. just like us in a way. And Pixar is so good at that. And then in addition, it just, by, by humanizing it all, the introduction of these two characters, Ian and Barley and their family dynamic of, of their dad passed away when they were very, very young. Their mom is, is widowed and trying to raise them the best she can. There's a new guy in the picture. Um, I think it's, the um I think he's actually the I guess they're married. It's a new husband, right? So step. No, I think he's a boyfriend. I think he's yeah. a boyfriend. A boyfriend? boyfriend. Okay. I think so. Okay, so a boyfriend. Well, either way, you know, different people have had these interactions in their lives. And then you have these two characters. You have the older brother who is the kind of this, this larger than life personality. Um, he's really into like, if World of Warcraft were a thing, he would play World of Warcraft, right? Dungeons and Dragons, um, magic cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and all this kind of, um, he's into all the mythical creatures and kind of the magic and the spells and kind of the, those sort of nerdy things that, that, you know, you know, the type, right? And and then Ian is sort of struggling through school to fit in. He's a little awkward and, and he's super smart and, and he's got a good head on his shoulders, but he's super timid and doesn't know how to drive yet and has trouble making friends. And, and it just really humanizes these characters. And, and even the mom character, I thought was very like, you know, just doing her best to make ends meet, has her job, has, has, her, has her new boyfriend, but also trying to be a mother to her to her children and, and be faithful to them and try to honor the, the memory of, of both her husband and her in the memory to her children's father, right? That she wants them to be a part of his life or to have these connections and, and kind of facilitates that. I thought all these were kind of moments and kind of anchor points that pull this mythical world to very, a very real thing for us that m- helps you, Pixar does this incredibly. It makes you put your guard down and lean into the story a little more than, than you would otherwise. Does that make sense? Yes. I, uh, one, one, um, thing, one thing I learned from this movie, uh, having seen it, uh, well, first, let me say that I liked it. I liked it the first time I saw it, but I liked it much better the second time I saw it. And so uh, I realized when we we saw it in the theater uh, opening weekend, we had a very small crowd. I, I think there were only like six other families in the theater. We saw it on Thursday night opening weekend, and it was very so there was not a lot of laughter. No one was laughing with us, um, and. Uh, so that that kind of makes a it, your first experience of seeing a movie when <laughs> when you're no one else is laughing and it's just kind of a quiet theater and when I so I think a lot of the humor I missed the first time and watching it just here at home we actually laughed more than we did in the movie theater so uh, I thought that was really interesting yeah. and I thought in the when I thought when I saw it the first time there were so many characters I had a hard time. Uh, just emotionally engaging. It was all interesting, but uh, you know, a lot of the emotion of this movie happens in the last, the last parts of the movie. So mm-hmm. then, when you're going back and watch it in the second time, it's like, oh, I'm I'm kind of missed that, and that that emotional moment there, I kind of miss. It was just, it's a very fast paced movie. So a lot of people um, that I when I read some of the reviews early on, it. It, they kind of talked about the fact that it, it kind of jumbles all around and then tries to get to this emotional uh, place at the end. But uh, I really, I think on the second watch, all that made more sense to me. Does that make any sense? That watching it the second yeah, time, absolutely. it's like it, it was like a frantic 24 hour period. I mean, this all, this whole story takes place in 24 hours. 
all this action. So it's uh, it is pretty frantic. I mean, all the things that they have to do, and uh, so you really don't get that let up and that emotional tug until the very end. But it all builds up to that. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but right because it, it's a myth and a race in this quest, right? Right that they're on. So just just to get so on the six Ian's sixteenth birthday. Um, he's kind of had a, a rough day at school and nothing's gone as planned. And mom gets out a gift um, from their father that she wasn't supposed to give them till it was Ian's 16th birthday. Right. And it's for both the kids, right? They open it and it's a wizard staff with this gem. And of course, Barley is an expert on it. He knows exactly what it is. And there's a note in it that says to the boys, it says, hey, if you, if you say this spell, and he was into magic. If you say the spell, it will reanimate me and bring me back for one day from sunup to sundown, right? And so they get in the middle of this. And of course, Ian doesn't know what he's doing. Dad, this is a great moment too. It starts, dad starts to appear, right? And then he can't handle the spell anymore. And the, the whole thing explodes. The room goes and everything goes haywire. And the only thing left is... His, his his him from the bottom down. So you get from the belt line to his shoes, but the rest of them didn't appear. So you get half of dad. And so the rest of it is that now it's, they're just out of luck. You know, well, what are we going to do? Well, luckily Barley is an expert in the magic realm, right? Cause he plays Dungeons and Dragons and, and the magic cards and all these things. And he says, what we got to find is another Phoenix gym. We got to find another Phoenix gym and you can still find them. And he knows where to go. And this quest ensues and they have 24 hours before dad's going to disappear to right. get the rest of dad there. Right. And so, yeah, you're right. It is sort of like in that 24 hours, it feels just frantic and it feels you're nervous for them and you know, they can't stop for too long. And you're like, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. So yeah, I'm with you that it does move pretty fast. And that was an observation I had too. Um, but it also, I think make brings a little bit of um, anxiety that you're kind of like, on their behalf, that you're wanting that you feel them when if something goes wrong and they're they, they hit a detour or something. You're like, oh man, you know, come on, let's get this going. Right. And it, so I'm I'm with you. I thought that was, it was an interesting element too to to add to the whole thing. This kind of time, you know, this kind of like um, this clock countdown clock that you had to make this thing happen, right? Um, which made it unique from other Pixar movies that that we've seen like that. Yeah, I also, I also one of the things I really liked was uh, Pixar is very good at is uh, at the at the last is you're all the, all the way through the movie you're going how is this going to end? I mean, like mm-hmm. they, at the, at best they're only going to have him for a little while and then they're going to have to say goodbye. So I was already going, man, how are they going to resolve this? How is this going to work out? Of course, they the I didn't see the final plot twist coming. I thought that was really, really well done. Um, but the, uh, you know, something I, go ahead. Oh, oh no, I, I, I think kind of combining both of those ideas together, right. The the fast pace and this countdown, um, plus kind of that plot twist. There were some things I thought I saw coming that actually didn't happen or come to fruition. One of them was that there's this, this scene where, uh, the music is cranked up really loud and, and, uh, the dad's legs, start dancing and then the boys are like, what is he doing? And they're like, I think he's dancing. And, and then they have this moment together, right? Where they all go dance. And um, I thought there was a really powerful message in that, that I thought they could expand it. And, and that is like the dad being half a body, right? He, he doesn't have the ability to talk or to, you know, see or anything, but he's still able in that moment to enjoy his time and make a memory with his boys. I thought that was a really powerful thing. Um, that they they could have expanded on. 
Yeah. And been a really powerful lesson or theme throughout the movie. But I think the clip, you know, having to get through in 24 hours and uh, it was kind of a, just a missed opportunity. But um, it, yeah, didn't, didn't, I thought that was coming, didn't quite happen that way. But uh, still, still, well, there cool was though. a lot happening in that scene because if you remember, that was right after Ian and Barley got into the fight. Um, yes. where it was, he was exposed that, um, Barley of course is this free spirit, carefree, whatever. And, but everybody looks at him. And I think you, you alluded to this too. With uh, We talked about this for me and I'm sure you're going to in a minute, but everybody yeah. kind of sees Barley as this kind of screw up and this sort of like, um, um, irresponsible millennial, whatever, you know, and, and it comes out that, He's they in the middle of the spell. They have this interaction with some police officers, and the police officers ask him questions. And because of the magic, um, Ian has to tell the truth. And it comes out that Ian actually thinks little of his brother Barley. That he actually thinks his brother's a screw up and and can't do things right and and all these things. And Barley's hearing this, and it really bothers Barley a lot. So mm-hmm. on the heels of that scene, we find this connection where Dad, you know, is dancing to music, and they all dance together and laugh again. And kind of move on and realize that there's bigger things and we can put this stuff uh, aside. Um, so I thought even in the context of that kind of tension between Barley and Ian, the first in the movie, that that scene was extra powerful, you know, of bringing the bringing every, the dads uniting them in their fight, right? Even yeah. these two brothers are fighting, dad is resolving it. And he doesn't even necessarily even know what he's doing. I was going to ask, I was like, do you, did you even know that, did you think the dad even knew they were fighting in that moment? You think he could tell somehow? I don't know. There's parts where I feel like he, it seems like he's oblivious and there's yeah. parts that feels and like he kind of knows somehow. what's happening. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I wondered yeah. about that too. I don't know whether he could, whether the dad had any sense of what was going on or not. You just don't, there's no way to really know. For sure. There's like moments where, but, you know, uh, Barley like taps him on the foot, the, you know, the, but, 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 and, yep. uh, he like panics. He's like, Oh, I, like he knows who it is there. You can tell there's mm-hmm. some acknowledgement. He's like, that's Barley. I know that's Barley. Um, but yeah, again, like you said, there's some other times like when they drop him in the water to stand on the button, like and they're just <laughs> yeah. bobbing him up and down like a, uh, he has no idea what's happening. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, this would be a good time too. Rami, why don't you were talking, you had some thoughts on Barley's character and how he's portrayed. So you have yeah. strong feelings on this. Man, they did Barley dirty in this movie, I think. They really did. <laughs> Right. Like, so like you said, he, he, he kind of plays this quintessential uh, millennial role and it has a lot of negative undertones immediately about it. Right. But here's the thing, like, I'm going to argue that Ian is in fact, probably the more, like, he's got further to go, I think, and character development and person, like all that stuff than Barley maybe ever did. And what's funny is like, we all in this movie or look at it and then we're like, man, it's a good thing Barley kind of made that change and kind of, but he didn't really change all that much. When you notice like Barley throughout the entire movie, and I think this is a huge testament to his character, remained incredibly optimistic and a positive energy in his home, really looked after his brother, despite being, you know, a, a, a son who lost a parent, right? He, he's maintained incredible energy and cohesiveness. And he was a major, I think, glue factor in his home. Um, and there's no really uh, sense of failure in my mind when I watch the movie, like there's nothing he does. That's like a huge screw up. In fact, the biggest screw ups I think happen with Ian, right? The first time he's casting that spell, for example, it becomes overwhelming and he sees Barley coming to help. And he's like, no. And he pulls away. Right. And that's what causes the whole thing to happen in the first place. Right. That wasn't Barley. Mm-hmm. That was Ian's big mistake in my opinion. Um, 
So Barley, yeah, like I think even even with the redeeming qualities of the movie, when Ian has this kind of epiphany that that Barley's well, he's been there there my whole life. He's going through the checklist, you know. He's like making memories together, playing catch, or doing all this stuff. Um, I think a lot of people still leave the movie feeling like Barley still somehow maybe kind of inadequate because he is kind of that Dungeons and Dragons, you know, World of Warcraft playing kind of millennial type. But man, I really think he's a solid human being, right. like good character kind of person. So um, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think uh, one of the things I, I thought was profound about that is a lot of times when you're a teenager, uh, I, I, you know, you don't realize how wise your parents are. And Barley's kind of the dad in this in his life. So he kind of like he yeah. resists every time Barley tries to horse around with him. He's like, Dad, it's like no, don't do that. And uh, when he wants to show up at school, he's kind of embarrassed, kind of like kids are sometimes with their parents. So he's he's you don't realize he that he's already showing that he he looks to Barley like a dad and he's kind of embarrassed by him. And and you're so you're really seeing Barley all the way through Ian's eyes. I think that's for sure. You're kind of this is Barley mm-hmm. through yeah. his experience, and that and so that's at the end you you realize he he knows you've been there for me. I didn't realize how you know wise you were, how, how great you were, mm-hmm. and so it's like like you sometimes when you hit, I, get into your twenties and suddenly you realize how smart your parents really are because you're realizing how well they took care of you. You know, mm-hmm. sure. And I actually think that to Ramin's point, um, what frustrated you, I think it's actually probably the underlying thing the movie was trying to drop anyway, that mm-hmm. the movie's more about Barley than it is about Ian. Um, the, the movie is about our misplaced expectations. And when the, when the final kind of moment happens, and, and we'll give this now, we'll, we'll move back to a couple of things in a minute where, you know, they get to the moment where they get the Phoenix gym. Finally, Barley's the one that figures that out and actually gets the, after something didn't go right and they didn't have it, they didn't, Barley finds the gym and they now have this moment where they, this can happen, this can and take place. And the, the Manticore character and their mom and Ian are all fighting this dragon to keep the curse away, right? And and they give up. Barley gets the op- opportunity at the end to actually spend time with his dad because Ian realizes, wait a second, Barley has been that been my dad the whole time. He's the one with unfinished business. He's the one that has the the scars from all of this. He needs the time with dad. Mm-hmm. And Ian gives that up sacrificially, but it's not about Ian. It's about Ian's realization of who Barley actually is. And it's about Barley having those, those getting rewarded with those things. So I think you're right, Ramin. I think, I think the movie is actually trying to get the viewer to do that though. You know what I mean? Like it's trying mm-hmm. to make you see Barley a certain way and then realize that what you did all along, this guy is the most solid of everybody. He's the most consistent, the most optimistic, and the most one in that's deserving of the moment of closure with dad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's actually the plot twist that was so like profound. And even talking through it now, you don't necessarily get that on the first viewing. So kudos to you, Ramin. You kind of like nailed it, I think. No, well, I, I was. I think even still beyond that, I still feel like viewers are leaving that movie, even with, like I said, this this story of like redemption for Barley, at least a better understanding of him. That like, you, you get the sense that like it, it takes like kind of a special understanding of Barley, you know, to appreciate him. Which I I still feel to be kind of a disservice, right? Because when I look at Barley, there's nothing about him to me that says he's inadequate. You know, at least if you're applying. 
at least today's standards. And I think that's the thing. Like, I feel like uh, it was maybe an older generational type standard applied to this type of character. So if you were to apply more of like a millennial, like what's happening with, with millennials today, you know, the fact that they're staying in home a little bit longer, you know, they're making less money, that kind of stuff. Barley's actually fitting right into that group. He's actually pretty like in the normal deviation for what's happening in our culture. And I, I felt like still there were some undertones of a, of a different generational like application and values towards Barley. So even though you got that redemption at the end, I still feel like somehow at the end, you, you have to like kind of make this exception to understand Heb's value. And Interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I want to say like, he's got value immediately without any special needs or understanding like, and that, that's kind of where I'm coming from too, even beyond right. uh, hmm. that, what they're, yeah. yeah. So I, I appreciate that. I do disagree at the, at the, a little bit on the ending. I actually feel like the scene where Ian's had his van repainted to Guinevere too. I think that's mm -hmm. basically t saying to the viewer and to Ian, Hey, just be yourself, man. You've been great all along. I think it's actually trying to make the point that you're, I get what you're saying. Like most people look at society and like, I think I even said that, well, maybe now he goes and gets a job or something like, and that yeah, reinforces, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, what you're saying. Um, but again, I think the point, the point the, 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 they're trying to make in that ending and kind of like they get in the van together to go on another quest or another adventure is, Hey, this is who you are. And that's good. You know, mm -hmm. you know, whatever that happens to be. So, I, I, but I get what you're saying too. Like, I, I found it a little more positive at the end. Um, mm -hmm. And it actually, I think for a typical um, older adult who looks at millennials a certain way, it's actually maybe a, a, a object lesson of, hey, don't judge so harshly. Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's a lot going on here that the stereotypes don't don't grab. You know, every generation is different than the one before it. We just don't always mm -hmm. understand it. You know, everybody's parents are trying to figure out what their kids are thinking and why they're so lazy and why they're so entitled. And it's every generation looking at the 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 one that come that's coming after. And I, I I've kind of felt like that with millennials too. Like the the kind of the 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 knock on millennials is in a large part not all that different than the knock on every next generation coming so, in. So it's interesting that you even use those words. Are, are there any scenes specifically in the movie that make you feel like Barley is lazy and entitled? No. No. I did, you said millennial, he, and I just when, attached when that. The mom, what do you call that? The, when you don't go to college right away, you take an extension year? What, it, a what do you call that? Failure to launch. No. <laughs> it has a... Uh, a, 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 a no, it's, not a, it's not a sabbatical. It's a... Flow year... Uh, his mom mentions it. Transition year. She says this is the longest. She does. I, I know. I know. That, that's I know the only. Exactly what you're that talking. felt. No, that think, felt very. Uh, I mean, you know, I've got kids that are in college. I heard that phrase. The phrase she uses, I heard a lot. Yeah, the, I'm taking. A, I'm taking a year off basically before I make a decision about what I'm doing next. I mean, that felt very much like his age. But I think to me, the ending, you forget all that because I think you realize it's his optimism pushing through. I mean, Ian walks away. He gives up. He says, I'm going home. We, it didn't work. We didn't find, we didn't, we didn't work it out. And Barley keeps pushing mm. for that to find that gym. And then he finds it and changes everything because everybody's forgotten magic. This nobody believes in magic anymore. Mm -hmm. And because Barley pushes through a uh, magic's back and the, you know, the, the, the cop has changed. The uh, the sprites. I mean, everything kind of turns around completely. Like it's 
I mean, he actually becomes the hero of the movie because he affects everybody. Yeah. So I guess I forgot. I mean, I just figured, oh, they they tricked me. I thought he was this, but now I realize he wasn't. So I walked out feeling mm-hmm. really good about him. I didn't feel stuck thinking he was uh, painted painted in a in a poor light because it just seemed like a trick. Like in Frozen, when you think Hans is a good guy, then you find out Hans is a bad guy. In this one, you kind of think he's a screw up, but then you figure out, oh, he's not. He's he's actually the the most together person in the movie. He knows exactly who he is mm-hmm. and what he wants to do, and he's he's true to himself and kind of true to his vision. He's going to push through and keep doing what he has to do. Yeah, I mean, none of that would have been none of that would have been possible without him for sure. I mean, it was Barley's knowledge of like the magic and everything that even allowed them to begin this kind of adventure, like at all. Yeah, it was. It's a gap year. That's gap what year. she called That's it. it. I believe, gap, gap year. Gap year. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I thought I. No, no, I was no, going to say I, I don't think I would have caught the depth of his character until I've seen it the second time. I just it's just too much happening. There's. There's too much going on. There's so many. Even the second time I watched it, the the detail you see. I saw the Pizza Planet truck the second time through, but I would have never seen it the first time. You know, there's just that. I never. I didn't notice that, that. much stuff going on on the screen that you would never. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to catch all these twists and turns of the plot and the characters. The first time I saw it, I even thought there was a little too much of the mom, and and in the and the manticore. It was like, man, now we've got two more characters and their emotions and their quests, and how are we going to get? We got you know, I'm I'm trying to f- connect with these two guys that are the main characters, and I'm not sure I'm connecting with them yet. So, but the second time, all that. I, I didn't feel any of that the second time I saw it. It, it all, I, I understood why we're doing this and, and why these characters are a part of it. So, well, I think we all like feel this is a really good movie. And even on second watch for both of us, David, it got better. And Ramin's already said it's his favorite movie of 2020 so far. Yep. And I think that's a testament to these, the reason we're already, you know, debating and so kind of, involved in these characters and they make us feel something is this incredible job these voice actors did. Tom Holland as Ian Lightfoot, Chris Pratt as Barley, um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus as Laurel Lightfoot, These those three in particular, and o- Octavia Spencer as the Manticore, right? That's a great character also. Um, but the, it's just so, Tom Holland is, fan, is he not just fantastic? He, I mean, he's great as Spider-Man and he could just sit in there. I never at one time said, oh, that's Tom Holland. I hear Spider-Man. He just sounded like a 16-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, it was just phenomenal. I, I thought. thought his performance was incredible. I thought they both did great, but there were moments that I remembered thinking, "That's really good acting." His his just emotionally, uh, he's such such a great actor. And and then Chris Pratt, I, I think I actually enjoyed his character even better too. Because or his, they were I didn't never, there was never a moment where I thought, oh, here's Star-Lord talking to me, or here's Chris Pratt. <laughs> it actually kind of had echoes of Jack Black a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of School of Rock character, right? Um, which is another dynamic, because Jack Black in School of Rock is not millennial. It's a whole nother kind of like Gen X, you know, I'm going to be a rock star kind of thing. But it, he he walked this line of both of those those things so well and and the way he delivered his lines and sort of the bravado of you know uh someone who does the fantasy stuff i right. guess i just thought it was very well done and i thought he did an incredible job and um 
Yeah, I think that was another uh, great casting choice, too, because you're kind of used to uh, him as as Star-Lord. He's kind of a goofy uh, hero. He's not, I mean, you're not expecting him to be the one at the end of this movie that's going to be the serious one or the or the constant one. And you think he's going to be the goof up. You think he's Mm going to be that character he plays. And so I think that's why the the flip at the end is so satisfying. Absolutely. What did you guys get any echoes of? I remember the first time I watched it um, when they were, especially when they get to kind of chase down in the temple after they get to the Ravens and follow the Raven claw down to the mountain, you know, some of those um, um, places where they, where they ended up reminded me a lot, a lot had echoes of Indiana Jones and the temple of doom and the last crusade. um, Where you have seen the traps, the, the blade that comes out and hits the knocks the top of the dad that they've the cre- that they've created it knocks him off all that was definitely right out of right right out of Indiana Jones even the gelatin cube yeah the gel- yeah, gelatinous cube which I guess is <laughs> the gelatinous that's actually cube a, that's actually I didn't realize when I watched it either I thought they made that up but that actually is right out of Dungeons and Dragons they must have gotten permission to use that yeah so. But when the way it came at them too was kind of um, reminiscent of the yeah. boulder scene in Indiana and Jones. When has, um, you had the scene when they have to reach under the the door that's coming down. Yes, and pull the legs yeah. out. Yeah, Dad's. And gra- he even he even goes and grabs yeah. the hat. You know, in, in, at the last second. There's, you know, there's and, a couple um, of the, there's a couple there's of the, those moments in Indiana Jones movies where they even do it. They do that thing twice, where he has to reach under a door and grab something. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's an iconic scene from that. And then the whole, like they have to step on the right letters yeah. um, to not fall through. That's an Indiana Jones thing. Then when they have to cross the bridge and he has to have faith, right. um, there's that's a last crusade thing right there. And um, there's a lot of echoes of that, I thought, yeah. um, which is not a bad thing because that's one of the greatest, why would you not try to Try to pull from one of the greatest movies ever. Well, and, you know, and, um, you know, adventure movies anyway. When I saw some of the negative reviews that came out right at the beginning, that was a couple of things people mentioned. But I thought it was like just so intentional that it, I mean, it just seemed obviously fun and meant to be there to to make you laugh, not not to copy not to copy right. it, but to make you laugh and to you know. Of course, the, and a, yeah, kind of pay tribute yeah. to you in a, and they still, they still, they way. still mm-hmm. uh, turn some of those things into uh, in ways you don't you don't know it's, they're, it's go, how it's going to turn out. Absolutely, I have four boys, and as I watch that, I'm just you. You look at them, and you're like, man, I want my brothers to love each other and look out for each other like that. And and so here's the big question for you guys, kind of the final. We'll we'll rate it here in a second. Give you the rating five mouse ear rating scale. But before that, the question is. Did you tear up, Ramin? Did you cry yeah. a little bit? I think I, I think I did. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly the moment. I, I think I did. So, uh, um, I think definitely towards the end. That's that one moment, especially when you see Barley talking to his dad, and that that moment in particular. Um, and then it, it was actually I, maybe right after that when he comes back to Ian to kind of report on that conversation. That moment, uh, yeah, yeah, it got me for sure. Yeah, David, did you yeah, tear up? I, did you cry? I teared a little bit? up a little bit. I think uh, one one of the one of the moments that's very um, well, of course, when he when he when he realizes the list that he's he's actually done all of those mm-hmm. things. That moment's pretty emotional. That that was really 
a tear-jerky moment. And the other is actually when he's trying to watch Barley and the dad, and he slips. That mm. I thought that was a very uh, you know heartfelt moment because you're trying to catch this, and he he can't even he can't even keep his footing. He falls and misses a little bit more. So yeah, I thought all that was. Uh, yeah, pretty emotional. I didn't, I didn't cry, but I definitely teared up. I definitely teared up more than. Yeah, I, I, I teared up. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say I teared up more the second, more both. the second time than the first. Yeah, I did both times. Um, and and I was wiping a tear or two away. My wife and I both, and and it's just. Pixar is so good at this. And I got another question related to the crying too, but um, there's a connection. I have a, a really close friend who lost his dad at a young age and had an older brother who um, who I just kind of saw this play at the second time, especially even I, I just saw this sort of playing out. And I've known this, this guy for 15, 20 years and just seen him grow up and now, you know, he's married with his own kids and things. And, um, just seeing it through the light. I, I still, my, my father is still very much alive and healthy. And so I've never dealt with that, you know, personally, but, you know, trying to see it through the lens of, of someone who has lost uh, a parent or has grown up without a parent. Um, that it's just a, a powerful, um, moving thing in general. And then the power of, of brotherly love and, and sibling love and looking out for each other, I think is a powerful thing too. Um, but the, the other question I was going to ask, so in the terms of all the Pixar movie world, right? What are the Pixar movies, other Pixar movies that you've cried in, that you've teared up in? Uh, Ratatouille. The, that fin Ratatouille, the final okay. speech in Ratatouille just always yeah. is so beautifully written. It's just great. Uh, but definitely, um, probably up, probably a little tear there. Yep. That's what I was um, say. Definitely Toy Story. Uh, three, Toy Story three. Mm -hmm. Um, those are the first that come to my mind. But I one uh you know, uh, Finding Nemo not not the first time, but as Mike now that I have kids older, when I see that, it's way more emotional. When you really have to start letting your kids move to the next level and move on to their mm -hmm. lives. I mean, it's I never even realized the first time I saw it that that movie's about the dad. You know, it was about mm. all these characters, but the second time, as as my kids have gotten older, going not the second time, but multiple viewings, going back and watch it, yeah, something like that's way more emotional now because I'm in a different place in life than I was the first time I saw it. Yeah. I, what about you, Dustin? Um. So, of the Pixar movies, I know I I teared up in Coco, and um, oh, that was a good one. And inside, oh, inside out, out for sure. And probably this one. <laughs> yeah. Both yeah. of those. Both um, those are the three that I know for sure. Um I, I up up and it was emotional in a different way, but the actual ones that just sort of sucked a little bit out of me and and just forced the tear. Um, this was there, onwards there, Coco's there, inside out's there. Um all the rest are great and super emotional in their own ways, but I don't know what it is about those themes that just speak to me personally. And Pixar is just so good at that too. I mean, there's no duds in the whole gambit other than maybe the good dinosaur. <laughs> but other than that, like they're all, they're all really good. Yeah. You know, you could rank them, but the good dinosaurs, I think at the bottom of most people. Yeah. I need to go back. I need to go back and watch the good dinosaur because I really, I think that may be one of the few that I've only seen one time. I've just never really wanted to go back and it will probably be better the second time. So I need to do that. 
Maybe, maybe that'd be a good rewatchable. Yeah. Um, so, but anyhow, overall, let's rate on five, uh, five mouse ears, 5.0 mouse ear scale. How many mouse ears do you give this movie now, David, on the second viewing? I don't remember what I gave it the first time, but I think I probably gave it around a four. So now I would probably say more like. That's what you typically yeah, get. I would things, probably so. say more like a 4.3, 4.4, something like that. Okay. Maybe closer to yeah. 4.5. I, I really Ramin, like what it. about you? Ramin, what about you? How many mouse ears do you give this on a 5.0 scale? I would give it, I would give it probably, uh, yeah, 4.5 to 4.6. Like probably mid okay. to like low 90s for me. Love it. Yeah. I actually think I'm right there too. I'm at 4.5. Um, and it's a little higher than the first time I saw it as well. I think I was at like a 4.2, 4.3 the first time. And I definitely, if if it was a, on a hundred point scale, we'd be in the nineties as well. So Mm -hmm. I I like it more the second time and I like it better the third time. I think when I looked at Rotten Tomatoes last, it had like an 88 and I I felt like that was a little low. I felt like it should be a, a 90 at least. Well, either way, we hope um, you've enjoyed this discussion. We'd love to know what you think about Onward. Um, let us know, people listening at home, what you think. If you agree with us, do you disagree with us? Do you think Barley was fairly treated in the movie and and he was framed correctly? Um, do you do you resonate with the characters? Do, where does it rank on your list of all-time Pixar movies? Um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website, whyilovedisney.com. And or on Twitter at why I love Disney one. Uh, let us know what you think. We're so thankful for your time and please stay safe out there. Stay uh, home and uh, we will see you all next time on the why I love Disney podcasts.